and part, just a, just a small part of chapter 19, but, but it kind of comes in. We're going to cover a lot of ground, but, but I'll give you a really simple outline of what we're going to look at today. The first three verses predict the fall of Babylon. So uh, in, in Babylon is, is you know, the, the evil in the world. Verses four through eight are going to urge God's people to be separate from Babylon, to come out from Babylon before she's judged. Nine through 19 is the lament of those who cooperated with Babylon after her fall. And then 20 through 24 is the faithful rejoicing over the judgment of Babylon once, once it's accomplished. And then in 19, one through eight, it's, it's the worship that happens in heaven as a result of all this. So it's a great look at our world as we come into it today. It's a great look at who we are, at where we live, uh, things to avoid, things to mourn, things to be broken over, um, things to celebrate. And, and it's as real for us today as it was for John 2,000 years ago as, as he lived in a world that was hostile to the faith and, and he was surrounded by things that were contrary to the word of God. And, and how do you live? How do you do that? How do you um, walk in that type of situation? So in uh, verses one through eight, um, it says, after this, I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having great authority and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, and a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, "'Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins.'" lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her impure iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning, since it was in her heart, she says... <clears throat> I sit as a queen, I am, not a wi- I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. So um, as, as we come in, the first thing in the first eight verses, they're, they're told to flee from evil. The people of God are told to flee from evil. And that's where this section begins. It's the charge against Babylon for seducing the people of God to partake in idolatry. So this is what they've done. In Babylon, we are seduced to take part in the things that are going on around us, the things of the world. And it's a warning to the people of God as as we come in there to come out from among that, to step out of it and to stay away from, from those who have gained economic security by bowing to Babylon's religious and idolatrous demands. So we're really circling back to the seven churches here. But if you remember coming back in, in, uh, in John's day, the thing was, if you, were, uh, if you were a tradesman or you had a business or any, any, anything where you're trying to make money, you're trying to make a living. And, you know, we all have to make money, right? It takes money to buy groceries, to buy gas. It takes a lot of money to buy gas nowadays. Um, but, uh, you know, all of these things. So you've got to have that to go. Well, if you cut someone off economically, 
you starve them out, you basically are taking life from them. So what they would have to do is they'd have to go in and, and go and burn a pinch of incense on the altar to Caesar. Caesar is Lord. You would have to worship the patron gods of, of your guild or your, in our day, we'd call it a union. But um, you'd have to come in there and, and bow down to that. And if you didn't, you're kicked out. You lose your job. So this is what's going on. This is what's happening. And God is calling them to step out from that. So we're circling back and, and talking and, and looking at people falling into idolatry because it's the easy thing to do. You guilt, go along to get along. You look at it and go, well, I don't really mean it. I'm just going to do it because it gets me what I want. And, and they're told, no, don't do that because what, uh, <clears throat> what, what, what the angel is telling me is saying, look, don't let the culture drive your ethics. Don't let the culture drive your values. Don't let the culture determine your actions. Instead, step out and be um, different. Follow the, the ethics of Jesus. Follow the life of Jesus. Follow the things of Jesus. And Babylon is going to be desolate and suffer judgment. This is what, what he's telling us here in 2 Corinthians 5.10. Paul put it this way. He said, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for, he, for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Matthew 16.27, uh, Jesus said, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. So this is a serious charge, and, and they're told to come out. Come out from them, lest you take part. Stay away, or you'll take part in this. If you mingle here, you will eventually partake of what's going on. You will take part in her sins. You will share in her plagues. It means that we have to be cautious today how we interact with our culture around us because Babylon, um, it, it may have fallen years and years and years ago. It actually, literal Babylon had fallen before this time that this was written, but Babylon um, is symbolic of any evil nation, of any evil political system, of anything that, that does something that is contrary to the things and the word of God. And it's really easy to become numb and unaware of sin when it's constantly paraded around us. When we live in a world where the things that are contrary to the word of God are celebrated as being good or as being rich or as being life-giving, we ultimately become numb to it after a while and we go, well, it's not really so bad. Or, you know, I, I, I'll be okay here. And eventually we are seduced into that. So when sin is constantly paraded around us as something to celebrate, we need to step back and go, no, I will not partake in that. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul put it this way, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. You know, the old saying, birds of a feather flock together. That's the deal. That's the truth. That's the reality. And this is what the angel, this is what, what is being said here to the people at, at the end time of everything. When the big judgment's coming, he's saying, look, you come out from among them. Otherwise, you're going to become one of them. You cannot stay and live in this. They're being warned to flee from the coming wrath. Um, <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 10, 14 says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. 1 Corinthians 6, 18, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral 
person sins against his own body, First um, Timothy 6, 11 through 16. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, fight the good fight of the faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who lives who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. So Paul, he breaks out in praise as he calls people out there. And this is what the angel is doing. He's saying, come out from among them. Babylon's about to receive the reward for her sins. It says that they're piled up to heaven. They're stacked up there. Um, you know, have, have you ever heard this? Uh, maybe your mama told you, you know, that stinks to high heaven or you boys stink to high heaven go take a bath or any number of things. But this is what God is saying. He's saying, this stinks to high heaven. Your sins are piled up this high and God's people are warned. They're warned to flee from these temptations. And and we today, we live in the tension between Babylon and the new Jerusalem that is to come. We really do. We live in a tension. We live in a dynamic here. When, when you go out today and, and you leave the building and you go out to work, you're in that tension. On one side, you've got the seductive things of this world. And on the other side, you've got Jesus. You've got the hope of the new Jerusalem and, and it's living in that tension and living it the way that God has called us to and temptations abound. If you want a great example of this, Joseph is the poster boy. Remember, he is constantly, constantly trying to be seduced by his master's wife and he constantly stays away, but eventually she pins him and she catches him alone in the room. And what does he do? He runs and he runs so hard that she grabs his cloak and and leaves him running without it. He just keeps going. He flees. He ran rather than being seduced. And there are things today that we should be running from. We should be running from those things. I just finished up the book of Judges um, about a week ago, you know, tooling through the Bible, reading through it. And, and, um, and, and Judges is one of those books that for me, it's just heavy. It's just, it's a book where you look and you go, you know, I know better, but do I do better? And, and I look at it, and, and you've got Micah, uh, the, the guy, I think he's Micah from Morsheth. And, and this story always boggles my mind, but he steals his mama's money. And then he turns it back to her, and she, she heaps praise on him. And I'm thinking, man, if I stole something from my mom, and I confessed to it, she'd still whop me. I mean, that just, that's just not right. That is just not right. I grew up old school. So, you know, that this is the way that it happened. But she gives it to him and he makes his own idol. And, and then he gets his own priest. And then the priest is carried off by these other guys and he's chasing after him. And when they take everything that he has, he goes, but, but, but you took everything. What do I have now? 
And, and he forgot who he was. And then he's followed by Jephthah, who, who um, he's, he's coming from a bad situation. And, and then when it's all over with, he says, look, I'm going to go fight the battle. First thing that comes out of my house, I'll sacrifice it. What comes out? It's his daughter. What was he thinking? You know, I was just going there. I go, man, where is God? They left him a long time ago. They left him a long time ago. God is still on the throne. He's still being God. He's still doing his thing as he always has. He's holding the world and and he is calling people to him and calling us to holiness. But we have walked away and and this is what's going on. And, And so as we come in, there are things that we should be running from as we come in here. For instance, our entertainment. Our entertainment today, it's vile. It's vile. And we should be running from it, not participating in it, because what it does is it numbs us to the reality of God's Word. It's really simple. If we read through the Word of God on a steady, regular basis, get a steady, regular diet of the things of God, and we worship God, and we pray to God, and we ask God to speak to us and and protect us from the things around us, and we'll begin to stack things up and, and say, does this land where God would have it land, or does it land where the philosophies of the world have it land? So we need to look because anything that denigrates holiness or glorifies sin is a cancer in our society, is something that brings death. It doesn't bring life. And separating out the holy and the secular, um, that's nowhere in Scripture. Nowhere in Scripture does it tell us to, to have a holy life and a secular life. We're to have a holy life. All of life is to be lived under the banner of the kingdom of God. All of life is to be lived to his glory. Or as Paul said, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. And in other words, if you're digging ditches, dig ditches to the glory of God. If you're a student, be a student to the glory of God. If you work out on the platform, work on the platform to the glory of God. If you teach school, teach school to the glory of God. If you're at home with your kids, raising your children, raise your children to the glory of God. There's no greater thing. And as we come in, we are to live our lives to the glory of God day in and day out. So as we come in here, they're told to flee from it. We're called to live holy lives 24 hours a day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's what we are called to. So that's the dynamic that's going on here. And the second thing is to mourn over the right things. In, in verses 9 through 19, he, uh, he goes on and says, The kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty Babylon, or you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory and costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, and sheep, horses, chariots, and slaves. That is human souls. They, they, they desired stuff over the glory of God. They desired things over that. And, and as you come in, you look at all of that. These are, these are um, things that, that they mourned over. So the fruit 
for which your soul longed has gone from you and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet adorned with gold and jewels and with pearls. Remember, that's the clothing of the harlot that we talked about last week. For in a single hour, this wealth has been laid waste. All shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors, and all those whose trade is on the sea stood far off, and they cried as they saw the smoke of her burning What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying, Alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth, for in a single hour she has been laid waste. Mourn over the right things. Um, Greg Beal in his commentary put it this way. He said, The close connection between idolatry and economic prosperity was a fact of life in Asia Minor where allegiance to both Caesar and the patron gods of the trade guilds was essential for people to maintain good standing in their trades. Local and regional political leaders had to support this system in order to maintain their political stability and to benefit economically from their high positions. And in other words, if, if you weren't involved in the stuff of the world around you, you were sunk. And they're being, they are mourning over... They're lost from this. And, and what you come in, the merchants, they're no longer able to make a profit. So all the people who have, who have profited from idolatry, all of the people who have profited from the things of this world rather than focusing on the holiness of God, all of these people are mourning. They're no longer able to profit because they no longer have a market for their goods. This is what it says. Um, the, list of goods, the list of goods reflects their depravity. If you think about it, you come in and you look at this list and it just goes on and on and on, all this fancy stuff. And then it ends with slaves. That is human souls. I mean, they had come all the way down to where their opulent lifestyle trumped their fellow man. They didn't even care how far it went. <clears throat> the, the politicians bought into the system and they would mourn its loss. Um, the, the, the leaders there, they would mourn its loss in verses 9 and 10. This is where the churches in Asia Minor either found persecution or compromise. Um, so you would choose one or the other. You would choose to be persecuted or you would choose to compromise your faith. There was no middle ground. Those who were faithful were persecuted and they were crushed economically. Now remember, 300 years later or 200 years later, they're going to be the predominant force in the world. Christianity is going to be the predominant faith around it. They are going to um, move in this direction, but they're going to do it as they are persecuted and they live out their faith. And, And historically, if you come back, if you go study history, church history, what you'll find in times of great persecution, the churches explode. They explode. And in times of tolerance, In times of of no persecution, churches fall apart. You know why? Because we become self-centered. We become focused on ourselves. We become focused on our empire. We become focused on our comfort. We become focused on our preferences. We become focused on, on what we can get. We become focused on the wares of Babylon. 
Rather than being focused on the holiness of God, the God seated on the throne, the the God who made us and created us, and the God who calls us into fellowship with him, into a relationship with him. So as, as they come in, their wealth was wiped out in a single hour, just like Rome was wiped out in a week. They were wiped out. They're mourning over economic loss. They're not mourning over their sin. They're mourning over what they lost materially. And, and there's a huge difference between mourning over our circumstances versus repentance and brokenness over sin. The seafarers, they, they wept over their loss of a market. They come in and, and, and they said, you know, where are we going to go? What are we going to do now? I've lost it all. I mean, I can sail my boat, but there's nowhere to haul the stuff I'm bringing home. There's no market for it. Nobody's got money. It's fallen. The great city is gone. The economic system is lost. And I mean, honestly, that's one of the things you can hear if you flip on the news or, or you look on the headlines and everything. Every other thing is going to be economically, we're being crushed. Everything's going down. What is it? You know, the world's going to fall apart. Where is it going to move us? Well, in one sense, this should move us out of Babylon towards the New Jerusalem. It should move us to the point of knowing that my heart hope is not in my economy. My hope is in my God. And, and so coming in there, so they wept over this um, rather than the brokenness over, the, over sin that leads to the inside out collapse of the city. This all forces us to look at what really matters to us. What really matters to me? What is it that's most important? What is it that when it's all said and done and when life comes to a close, what is it that you feel like needed to be accomplished? What needed to be left behind? That's the question that we can, because we can't come out of of Babylon today. We can't truly come out of Babylon. We're in it. We're surrounded by it. We live here. It's all around us. We're being called to live in it, but not to be of it. Jesus said that he prayed for us. He prayed for his disciples in John 17. He prayed that they would not be taken out of the world, but they would be protected in the world. And that's the thing that we have to clothe ourselves in the word of God. We have to put on the armor of God. We have to constantly take it in, drink it in so that it is driving us and moving us. In the early church, they changed the world by being faithful to the word. That's how they changed it. They didn't change the world by blending in, by being palatable palatable to the stuff that's going on around them and and being tolerant of it. Instead, they stood faithful to the word of God. And, And so how is it today? How are you standing faithful in the word of God? As we come in and we look at this, are we standing faithful to the word of God? In every circumstance, everything that comes our way, are we being faithful um, said they sold slaves. So, you know, we look at it and we go, well, we're not doing, we, we don't have slaves here. I mean, we, we, we left that, you know, couple, uh, you know, decades ago. But, but there's still stuff that's going on that's taking advantage of people. There are people in the world who are enslaved. They produce products. They ship products. Do we buy those products? Do we, do we look at that? Do we look at where our stuff comes from and why, why we can get something really cheap from someplace versus another? And whose back is that being made on? How are we doing that? And those are uncomfortable questions that we ask ourselves when we come in. And you go, well, I mean, maybe not. Well, look, there's a thing called human trafficking going on right in our country. I mean, that's slavery. That's all it is. And, and you know what drives it? 
our very base desires that are fueled and fed in very simple ways by advertising that appeals to our sexuality, by video, movies, books, all this stuff, entertainment that comes in and, and, and glorifies stuff that's contrary to the way God made us and desires for us to live and, and tells us that this is where you're going to flourish when you get these things in control and, and you look at them in the way that God made them to be rather than going for one thing after another, after another, after another, because it, it means that we have to look at ourselves and say, you know what? What am I trying to fulfill? What is it? What is the itch that I'm trying to scratch? And what will satisfy it? Experience after experience, adventure after adventure, thing after thing, dollar after dollar, um, sexual encounter after sexual encounter, none of those things will fulfill us because we'll always want the next one. We'll always want more. We'll always need to satisfy that thing. And what God says is, I will satisfy you. I will show you how to live. I will show you how to experience life. I will show you how to experience intimacy with another human being where they're not there for your pleasure, but they're there to glorify and honor God just as you are. You are there uh, to, to serve someone else, not serve yourself. And it moves us into a different realm. It means that we reject the lie that we constantly hear telling us to enjoy and be satisfied yet we just walk away empty. I mean, we have, we're surrounded in, in a country with so much, we're surrounded by people who are so dissatisfied. And it's because the stuff of this world, it, it, can't, it can't satisfy you. You're made for something more. You're made for God. You're made to know God. You're made to reflect God. You're made to experience God. You're made to be consumed by him. So this is where it it comes out. So we need to mourn over the right stuff. We need to mourn over the right things, not the things of Babylon, but to mourn over the brokenness of the world around us, mourn over our brokenness, mourn over our sin. Um, And then it leads into verses 20 to 24, where we rejoice over the final victory over Satan. That says, rejoice over her, O heaven, and, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sounds of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters, will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of a bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints and of all who had been slain on earth. So the judgment, as we come in here, this is an interesting thing because... Maybe you're not this way, but, but me, I like to win. I mean, I, I just, I love to win. As a matter of fact, I mean, the only thing that's, that's, that could be worse is to lose. 
I mean, I, I just, I, I just, you know, it, it's just something that I don't know. And, and, and the first thing is, is, is when you look at it, you go, yeah, they're getting it. They're getting what they deserve. That's not what happens here. They don't rejoice over the people of Babylon being judged. They're not rejoicing that people are being judged for their sin. They're not rejoicing over the destruction of the city. They're rejoicing that the judgment is just and it reflects the holy character of God. They're rejoicing in the justice of God, the holiness of God, the character of God, and that he is upholding that. And and that's something that really should come back to us because people say, well, how could God allow this or whatever? You go, you know what? You do time a whole lot differently than God, but God will not let anything go. Will not let it go. He is holy, he is just, and he will punish sin. He will. But but they're not celebrating the punishment. They're celebrating the holiness of God and who he is. You see, the lost people, they grieve over the destruction of the city because it costs them economically. It's selfish mourning. It's self-driven. The saints rejoice because it demonstrates the righteousness of God and the justice of his judgment. God is just when he deals with evil. He is fair. He is just. And we should mourn over every lost soul. We should mourn over the people around us who don't know Christ. We should mourn that we live in a city where the majority of the people don't know Jesus. They're without hope, without Christ, without a future, and they are doomed to the fate that we're looking at here this morning in this book. That should break our hearts. That should drive us to him. That should drive us into a whole different arena and a whole different way of thinking. And and it should move us to to reach out to the people around us. It it should move us to, to do missions. It should move us to go in something totally different. Um, for instance, um, one of the mission opportunities that we have right now is, is in Liberia, in the schools in Liberia. I think uh, the school district has given us 30 pallets of books, and they're practically brand new. But they all have to be gone through before they're sent over there. And, and so they all have to be gone through. And, and Samaritan's Purse, will, they, typically they've taken care of this always before for us. Um, but Dave and Trudy go through that. Trudy needs help. You want to help going through books? You want to impact lives somewhere else? You want to be able to share the gospel with people in a different way? Um, there it is. You can do it right here in town by sifting through books, making sure that there's nothing in those books that's contrary to the Word of God, making sure that those books will reflect a, a biblical um, worldview as they teach and train children in these schools over there. And, and it's just a great opportunity that we have. People who have nothing, that an education for them is, is um, it's, it's not something that they just assume. And, and so we have been given this and we have an opportunity. And, and God is just as we come in. He is just when he deals with evil. And, and we should mourn, but, but it's, um, it's not a rejoicing because we win. It's a rejoicing because God has been vindicated. 
And that's, that's, that's a hard flip to make. It's a hard twist of the mind to make because we want to win. Or maybe you don't want to win, but I don't know anybody who doesn't want to win. Um, I mean, I, I just haven't met that person yet. Everybody ultimately coming down, you, you want to win. Now, it, may not, you know, it may not hurt your feelings a whole lot if you don't, but, but ultimately you still, that's what you want. And, and this is where we have to come in and say, you know what? It's not like we come in and go, I told you so. Ah, ha, ha. You were wrong. I was right. See, I told you we had all these conversations. I'm in heaven. You're in hell. Forever. Loser. That's not the way that it works. We won't be like that. That is a godless attitude. This is an attitude that honors God and glorifies God and, and, and pulls him in because the glory that, that his glory has been made known to all of creation and it's all about him. It's not about us. It is all about him. Ezekiel thirty three eleven says, say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways for why will you die, O house of Israel? In other words, God doesn't like to do this. God doesn't desire to do this. God doesn't want to, to e- eternally cut off the people he created in his image. He longs for us to come to him, but he gives us this opportunity to choose this. In 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is holy and just, and he wins. And that's why we rejoice. We rejoice because he is holy, he is just, and he wins. It's not about us. It's not about us being vindicated. It's not about us um, receiving a, a, a reward now that we've suffered. It is all about him. Everything goes back to him. And if you come in to the final um, part that we're looking at here today, verses 1 through 8, um, it, it's to center praise on God, to center our praise on him. And, and then right after this, we're going to see Jesus on the horse coming down next week. But, um, but to center praise on God, he said, after this, I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more, they cried out, hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, praise our God, all you, his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure for the fine linen is righteous deeds, is the righteous deeds of the saints. So the praise is centered on God for who he is, for what he has done in the world and for the glory of his name. That, that's where all of this praise coming in is centered. After all of this takes place, after this final judgment coming in, you see the praise back around the throne. It's actually kind of jumping back to chapters four and five again, where we get the glimpse into the great throne room of God. And we see 
We see God seated on the throne. We see the lamb right beside him. We see the four four living creatures, the 24 elders, and the multitudes of the people of God gathered around the throne in worship. And this is centered on God rather than what God has done for us individually. And and that's an interesting distinction to make because typically... um, We, we tend to worship God for what he's done for us, right? We, we praise God for what he has given to us. If, if we say, um, can, can you, uh, you have praises you want to share? Yeah, I have a praise. You know, God answered my prayer. Nothing wrong with that. As a matter of fact, you know, it's, it's totally right to praise God and to thank God for what he has done for us individually or even corporately. But that should not be the bulk of our praise. The bulk of our praise should be praise for God, for who he is, for his character, for his greatness, for his holiness. As you come around this great throne, they worship God. They worship God. They're not worshiping God because God has done something for them. They're worshiping God because of his holiness, because of his character, because of who he is, because of the the way that he has redeemed the world for the lamb who has come and, and through suffering and sacrifice has redeemed us for the promise and the hope that he has given to us and that he has fulfilled, that he has judged sin as he promised he would, that he is holy and righteous and, and that he has given everyone Exactly what they asked for. Those who chose to reject him, he has given them an eternal separation from him. And those who have chosen to follow him, he has given eternity with him. It is a very stark picture. And as they come in, they worship him and, and they come in and... and um, <clears throat> I, I try to wrap my mind around this when I come in, and I think, you know, this is, this, is, uh, this is pretty amazing, really, when you think about it, because it's not the way that I typically roll things through my brain. But coming in, when, when we come in and we come to this scene in the new heaven, the new earth, in, in, in time of worship around God, this worship is going to go back to, I know him fully, as he has always known me. And I am worshiping him because of who he is. I am worshiping him because of his infinite wisdom. I am worshiping him because he alone is worthy of worship. I'm worshiping him because there's nothing in this world or that has ever been created that even remotely compares to him. And that's where we are, are being driven as we come in here. So as, as we come in and, and we... <clears throat> Look at, at everything that's happening in this scene right before we, we see the great battle take place. We're seeing that, that God is calling his people. He's saying, look, come out, come out. And that's a cry that you see throughout the Old Testament. Come out from among them, be separate, come out from among them and be holy. Come out from among them and, and don't be tainted by the things of this world. Instead, you are to be a change, an agent of change. You are to be a witness for me. You are to be a people who show my greatness to the people around you. You are to be a people who by living according to my word, you change the world. Because God changes it. We don't change it. He changes it. And he has chosen to allow us to be a part of that. 
And so we have that opportunity. You have that opportunity in the workplace. Be different. Don't be Babylon. Be different. Don't go in there thinking, you know what? I have to, live, I have to be this way on Sunday and this way during the week. Or I have to be this way at home and this way at work. What, what God is saying is we need to have a constant lifestyle of holiness. A constant lifestyle that does that doesn't mean that I go to work and I start screaming and bashing people. It just means that I live my life according to the word of God. I leave it in a way, lead it in a way that people see Christ in me and they're drawn to something different. Where they say, you know what? Why is it that he is satisfied? Why is it that she is satisfied? How can they find this? How can they have this hope? How can they have this stability? How can they have this understanding? How can they roll through life when things are going like they're going and and have a hope? It's because God is faithful. He wins. He actually already won. It's done. He won it on the cross. He won it and he is calling us to lean into it and experience it and know that God and God alone is the one who will satisfy us. He is the one who will fulfill us. He is the one who will guide us into the future. And he is the one that as our church, that's the only place we have to go. The only place we have to go is right to him, right to his word, live it out and do it in such a way that it impacts the people around us, that they will see Christ in us. They will see our works. They will see our good deeds. They will see us as a people who care about others, they will be drawn to that and that we'll have that opportunity to share Christ with them ultimately when they look and they say, you know what, What's this? what is it? What is it about this people? What is it about this church? What is it? Why is it that, that lives are changing people there? Why is it that they have hope? Why is it that, that this happens? And then it leads us to that point of saying, well, it's because of Jesus, not because of us, it's because of God, because he is holy, he is just, he is righteous. And he has drawn us into this. And we have this love for him. And we have this love for seeing him made known to the people around us. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for the blessings that you've given to us, for the opportunities that we have each day to choose to follow you, to choose to be faithful to you, to choose to come close to you by reading in your word, to hear your voice have you speak your truth into us through your Holy Spirit as as we encounter the, the living word of God. And Father, we thank you for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. We pray, Lord, that as your people, we will be faithful to you. That we will be true to Jesus in everything we do throughout the week. We'll trust you to be our security. We'll trust you to be our hope. We'll trust you to be our future. We'll trust you. Take care of us. Hold us. Replenish us. To satisfy us. Give us a hope in the future. It can only pray this in Jesus. As we come in today, I, you know, looked at four things real quick, but 
I mean, the first thing, are you fleeing? Are you fleeing from the things of this world? Are you putting up boundaries around yourself to keep the things that, that we're surrounded by on a constant basis from infecting us and, and destroying us from the inside out? Because it's a slow, slow thing. So are you doing that? Are you mourning over the right things? What are the things that we need to be mourning? We need to be mourning over the brokenness around us. Not over what we lose, but over the brokenness around us. And we need to be chasing after the things of God, rejoicing over Him, rejoicing over the hope that He has for us, and worshiping Him for who He is. So are, are these things taking place in your life? I want to encourage you to think about that, pray about it, and look for ways that God can do that in your life this week. Would you stand up?